Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Dan Mackett. Uh, my wife Alyssa and I have been here for six years. I serve as one of the elders. It's great to, yeah, be with you all this morning. And this was a helpful, honestly, lesson for me to prep just, uh, yeah, to convict and encourage me uh, and, and spur me on in thinking about how, yeah, how we all can, yeah, read the Bible with one another, both in discipleship and evangelism. And so that's, that is our aim this morning, is to talk about what does it look like to read the Bible with others, both Christians and non-believers. Why should we do that? How should we do that? What are the benefits of doing that? So it's going to be a little bit more, we're not going to, um, we're not going to dive deep and recap all of the ways to interpret different genres of scripture. That was the entirety of this class. Now we're, we're kind of getting practical of what do we do from here. This is the last class, and so uh, this is uh, more of a summary. And so in this class, we've been studying both what the Bible is and how to interpret it. The Bible was given to us so that we might know and see God. God, out of his kindness and pursuit of his people, has preserved his perfect, his sufficient, his authoritative word. It's inerrant, it's infallible, and it clearly teaches us about our God and about salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. But this class isn't simply about having more knowledge about the Bible or how to read it. It's equipping us to understand how to best handle the Bible in the two things that God calls every believer to, which is evangelism and discipleship. So the aim of this class is to equip us in such a way that in our primary responsibilities of discipling and evangelizing, that we might be equipped to be faithful and best steward all that God has given us. So the main point for this morning is this, the word of God is the foundation and power for our discipleship and evangelism, and reading it with others only produces fruit. There is no downside to reading the word of God with another person. It only produces fruit. But we also need to recognize that it is our uh, it is the foundation for our discipleship, and it's ultimately the power, uh, not only for discipleship, but also evangelism. So we're going to first look at why uh, why should we read the Bible with others, um, high level, and then we're going to focus on what does it look like to do this in the context of discipleship, or discipling relationships, and then we're going to look at it in the context of evangelism. So let's first look at why one-to-one Bible reading. And I mean, you could kind of give a... Uh, <laughs> A high-level pat answer, but I think it's important to root ourselves in in the Great Commission. So let's turn to Matthew 28 and read what the Lord says to us. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If someone could read that, that would be great. And then if someone could grab 2 Corinthians 5.20. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Anybody have it? Therefore, 
we are ambassadors for Christ. God making an appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Read 21 too, just because it's good. <laughs> for our sake, he made, our, he made him be sin, we knew no sin, so that in him we, may, we might become the righteousness of God. So we see here that, that we are redeemed ambassadors. So anybody that God draws to himself through Christ, he now makes them his ambassadors who are to display the fruit of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming them into the image of Christ, but also declaring what our king has done. And the role is to, as we read in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations. So we see the command to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them all uh, that Jesus has commanded. So we see both evangelism and discipleship in the Great Commission. We see evangelism in that making disciples. Now, this doesn't mean that we make disciples in the sense of we do not save anyone, but God calls us to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a people that are perishing so that he, through the word of Christ, might make disciples. So our role in the making disciples is the proclamation of the gospel, that people need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation. But we also see that it just doesn't stop there. We just don't go proclaim the gospel, but then we baptize, and then we teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so there is a initiation, there is a proclamation, then there's people coming to Christ, and then discipleship is the ongoing teaching and application of all that Jesus has taught uh, and commanded us to do. So the Great Commission is, is evangelism and it's discipleship. And this is the role for every Christian. This is our, this is our primary uh, task, regardless of what job we have, regardless of what station he's uh, put us in life, our primary task is to make his name known and to help one another more faithfully follow Jesus and understand what he's done for us. So as we think about evangelism and discipleship, we need to remember that the word must be central and it must be the foundation in our discipleship and evangelism. Can someone grab John 14, 25 through 26? John 14, 25 and 26. Okay, and then can someone grab uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17? Who's got 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17? All right, let's go ahead and read John 14 first. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to, you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Great, so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Um, right before he's about to be betrayed and then ultimately crucified. And he says that, that he is sending the Holy Spirit as our helper. And he, so the Spirit has been given as our great helper. And one of the ways that he is our great helper is that he's sovereignly preserved his word, ultimately to teach us all things and bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said. So the Spirit sovereignly has preserved his word for us so that we might remember all the things that Jesus said and all the things that Jesus did and accomplished through his life, through his death and resurrection. And even now he prompts us, <laughs> the Spirit prompts us to, to read the word and to run to him uh, in faith. He, he gives us the faith to behold Christ as we're reading the word. Uh, and then let's read 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17. Sam? 
But as for you, continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Nice. So what does it say about what does it say about the sacred writings? Or scripture. What does it say here? In in context of evangelism. It says they are able to make you wise for salvation. They start that salvation. Yeah, yeah. The word, God uses the word to ultimately show people who Jesus is and how they can be saved. So in reading the word. The Spirit can open people's eyes to see their need for a Savior, to see who the Savior is, and then to know how to respond to that Savior. What does it say about discipleship, then, in the next couple of verses? That's a wonderful way to say it. It completes the equipping of God's people. So we see that scripture is profitable for the completion of, of, of maturing disciples in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's applicable in every area of, of discipleship. It's, it's, it's profitable for, for teaching one another about the Lord Jesus, for, uh, for correcting one another when one of us is living in sin, for training us in righteousness to live as Jesus did. And so the word of God is, is sufficient for our evangelism, for our discipleship. Therefore, in our evangelism and discipleship, we need to make the reading of God's word with one another uh, primary and to be, uh, yeah, to be prioritized and treasured as well. Before we move on into specifically talking about discipleship, any, any thoughts, questions, or insights? Just in the why Okay, well, let's think about discipleship. Let's think about one-to-one Bible reading in discipleship. Well, let's first start by just asking, what is discipleship and what is the aim of discipleship? Well, ultimately, discipleship is helping one another faithfully follow Jesus by enjoying him and obeying him for the glory of God. At the end of the day, that's what discipleship is. It's helping one another faithfully follow Jesus by both enjoying him. It's not just a set of tasks and duties Uh, but it's actually enjoying the Lord Jesus and enjoying his love for us, and then also obeying him. So also obeying all that he has taught us. We help one another behold the glory of the Lord. We help one another behold Jesus, as 2 Corinthians says, so that by doing that, he transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. So as we think about one-to-one Bible reading, it is one aspect of discipleship. Discipleship is not only meeting up with another brother or sister and reading the Bible. But it is a, it, it should be a regular primary activity. 
ultimately discipleship to some extent is it's all of life like this this sunday morning we are being discipled we are discipling one another as we gather to hear god's word corporately and sing psalms and hymns to one another and pray with one another and pray for one another and encourage one another before and after the service but one-to-one bible reading is a particularly helpful daily or weekly activity in which we can really dive deep with one another and encourage and strengthen one another in Christ. Let's go to Colossians 3.16, because I think this is just a helpful kind of framework for thinking about why one-to-one Bible reading is so important. So Colossians 3.16, and I'll read it, but let's all turn there. So Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we see here the aim is to let the word dwell in us richly, not half-heartedly, not somewhat, but actually richly. Like God is inviting us to have his word dwell in us richly, so that we can teach and admonish one another. Not so that we can teach and instruct simply ourselves, but actually one another. The Christian life is not a solo life. It is a together life. It's a sacrificial life. It is a life lived in context of the local church with other believers. So how can someone actually have the word dwell in them richly? Well, ultimately, it's through the regular reading, through memorization, through reflection, on the word like you have to you have to put in the work uh it's not simply you won't just simply become rich in something you well unless you inherit it i guess (laughs) monetarily speaking but if you think about school like exams you cram you study you study you study you memorize you memorize you meet up with friends to ask one another questions and help one another think through whatever exam you are studying for so to dwell in the word to have the word dwell in us richly does require uh, discipline. It requires a proactive uh, studying of it and um, yeah, learning about it with, with one another. And that one another phrase is key. It's not simply doing it on our own, but it's actually with the aim of letting it build up one another. I think it's also important to see that actually scripture calls us to <laughs> read scripture with one another as well. So let's, let's look at Ephesians 3.4. Can someone grab a three, Ephesians 3.4? Who can grab that? Micah. And then can someone grab 1 Thessalonians 5, 27? So Ephesians 3, 4. Okay. All right. Thanks, Brad. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So what's Paul's assumption here to the Ephesian church? They read this. And they read it together. So Paul's assumption in other letters, he's, he, he, he talks about having the other letters read to them. So the assumption of the New Testament, the assumption of the apostles, is that believers are reading the word together. This was written to the church. So when you read this, you church, now corporately, yes, but also individually, the church isn't always together all the time. So it's when you read this, both corporately and individually. Let's read First Thessalonians. I put you under Yeah, so we see the command to have this read to all the brothers and sisters in the, in the church. And so there is, a, there is a command to 
read the word with one another, to study the word, to let the word dwell in us richly. And this is an invitation. This isn't like a, this isn't a legalistic task. Like this is an invitation to hear from God, to feast on Christ, to be renewed in our minds and our hearts about, yes, our sinfulness, but more so how great a Savior we have and how great a love that he has for us. And so when we think about one-to-one Bible reading, it can feel like uh, it's like another task to check off of like, oh, I got I to meet with someone this week to read the Bible and study it. There are going to be times when that is our kind of emotional heart response, but we need to view it as an invitation from God to know him better and to help one another be encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think about discipleship, also when we think about the word, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. The word is what sanctifies. So God has given us his word, and as we read it, as we study it, uh, as we talk about it with one another, God is using that to sanctify us. God is using that to make us more like Jesus. So let's think about the benefits of reading with one another. So Yes, we should read the word, we should study it, but why, why is it particularly helpful to read it with one, uh, with one another and in the context of one-to-one? And when I mean one-to-one, I don't, it, it could be three people, it could be four people. But I think there is, a, there is a unique help when you actually do it one-on-one because it, it enables uh, authenticity in the conversation. Some people don't feel comfortable sharing in a, you know, a small group of 10 to 15 people, and so you can actually really dive deep. Proverbs 27, uh, 17 as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Why is this true? Well, ultimately, as we read the word with one another, it gives us an accountability structure to apply the word of God to one another's life. So when we're regularly meeting up with a brother or sister to read God's word, we can actually hold one another accountable to it. So if you meet up every Wednesday morning with a brother or sister to read the word, you can check in the you know next week, hey, we talked about this. Hey, we talked about this specific application. How is that going? How did you see the Lord help you in this? Are there any specific ways that, yeah, it was really hard and you want to talk through that? So regularly reading the word with one another and a, a consistent group of people actually enables accountability. Now, it's good to read the word to get, you know, one-on-one with many different people, but if you don't have that consistent group of people that you're meeting with, you can kind of evade accountability. It's like, oh, I'm going to talk about this passage with this person and this area of walking with Jesus here, and then I'm going to go talk about it. Again, that's good, but we actually, we need, <laughs> we are fallen people who still struggle with uh, giving into the flesh. We need accountability. And that's how iron sharpens iron, by holding one another accountable. Also, insight. When you read with one another, God has given us different experiences and perspectives that may help offer insights on the passage that's being read, and especially the application of it. Now, the meaning of the text never changes, but the, but the word is an endless treasure chest, revealing who God is and how we can help one another know him better. So let's just think about a couple examples of how this is true, especially in the context of application. Someone married who's reading with someone who desires to be married or is about to be married. That is very helpful to read Ephesians 5 and to think about all the applications and implications of what does it look like to be a husband or what does it look like to be a wife. There is real-world practical experiences of living out those, uh, those commands in a way that can build up the other person. 
Uh, another example is a brother or sister who has experienced persecution for their faith, um, whether it's in the context of the workplace, reading it with somebody who hasn't yet really experienced persecution or rejection for sharing the gospel. The person who has experienced persecution is able to encourage the, pers- the brother or sister who is still um, yet to experience that in the Lord's faithfulness. That yes, despite the persecution, the Lord was faithful. And here's all the ways in which he upheld them and all the ways in which he strengthened them to look to Jesus and not to, to fear man in those moments. Or an experienced mom reading with a new mom. I know Alyssa has been very helped by the mothers in this church just learning what does it look like to be a, a faithful mom. Um, she's loved getting to hear the experiences and reading the word with other, other sisters who are, you know, who have more experience and who are more mature in that area. So the list goes on and on. We all have different experiences, seasons that the Lord has sovereignly put us through that can actually help encourage and exhort and teach another brother or sister who has yet to experience that or who is desiring to learn how to faithfully walk through that season in a particular way. So the benefits of reading with one another, now the, the list is longer than this, but primarily as we think about it, it's, it's accountability, being able to hold one another accountable to, to what we read, to what we, um, how we want to apply it, and then also insight. Any other thoughts about one-to-one Bible reading and how it is uniquely helpful as we think about iron sharpens iron? yeah that's a wonderful reflection that yeah maybe our yeah american temptation is that again that solo christianity that solo faith i i can live this out on my own but actually the assumption you know the commands to read are reading together uh and reading with one another and encouraging think about all the one another commands (laughs) those are the context of relationship and as we read those and learn how to apply and obey all that jesus taught and said we actually have to do that with one another and not that individual Bible reading is bad. Individual Bible reading is wonderful. <laughs> but we actually need, we need a balanced diet of both. Yep. Any other thoughts? Well, let's turn to Hebrews 4, 11 through 16, just to th- reflect on the power of the Word of God and what it's able to do as we read the Bible with one another. So let's, let's go to Hebrews 4. We're going to read 11 through 16. Who wants to read that? Josh, you want to read that? Okay. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Lord of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to him, whom we must give an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Thanks. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we think about helping one another faithfully follow Jesus and enjoying him and obeying all that he's taught and said, what better tool than to have the word of God, which is living and active, sharper than any, it can pierce the exact intentions, the exact motivations of what's going on in someone's heart. So if you're meeting up with someone and just talking about things, that is good. And processing things is helpful and we should be doing that. But when we get to the Word, the Word is the means by which God can bring to life what's actually going on in that person's heart. I don't, I don't know, but the Lord does, and the Lord can use His Word to really get to the root of what sub, someone is thinking or feeling or, or doing in that particular moment. And so the Word is powerful enough when we are not to do what it's intended to do, to pierce through our, our disbelief or uh, misconceptions about who God is and, and how we're supposed to live in light of that, and it's able to get to the root of it and point us to, to Christ. Ultimately, the Word exposes. It exposes our sin. It exposes the depths of our heart. Uh, it exposes our need for a Savior. You see that even here in the passage. We see that the Word encourages. It encourages us to hold fast to Jesus, our Savior and High Priest, and encourages us in the truth of who God is and what He's done for us. And then it, the word exhorts obedience, even in this passage, let us strive to enter that rest, saying that faith that rests in the confidence of the work of the Lord Jesus, not in any of our works. So we see that even in this passage, what is true of reading the Bible with one another is, you know, it's, it's helping us see that when we read the Bible with one another, God uses it to expose really what's going on. The, he uses it to encourage us and the ways that we need to be encouraged. If you're struggling with a particularly hard season, even this passage points us to a Savior who is not unable to sympathize us, but who is able to sympathize us with, with our weakness, who was tempted in every way yet did not sin. And so we can come before the Lord Jesus with confidence and ask for help and grace in our time of need. And then it exhorts obedience. So reading the Bible with one another and using the word as the means to expose, encourage, and exhort obedience. Well, how should we think about actually applying this? So what is, oh, yep. Sorry, can I just ask a question? Yeah. When I'm when I here teaching like this, I think I totally agree in the ideal, right? I would yeah. love to be getting ready, regularly together with somebody while I'm on to read scripture. Practically speaking, that is just enormously difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and have been through various seasons of life. So I think the question I have is, how would you encourage people to prioritize? Where would you put this one-on-one reading scripture with somebody with a community group or with Bible study, with like a group Bible study with people or other things, attending Bible time, coming on Sunday night? Like, there are so many ways that we can be in scripture with other people. Where would, how would you encourage people to prioritize? And is it a thing that might differ in different seasons or is there kind of a, just how would you think that? It's a wonderful question. I think you gave some good answers in there as well. So I think it, I think it is, 
I think it is season by season dependent. Like it's not going to look the same in every season. In terms of you know priority, I think what, we want to prioritize the weekly gathering. And so we want to, Sunday mornings, we want to be here to gather with God's people. It's commanded in scripture to, yeah, to gather and, and hear God's word together. And that actually can serve as the basis for actually talking about it and reading it together throughout the week. So I think we want to prioritize the, the, Lord's, the Lord's gathering. In terms of like seasons, I think there are seasons that maybe community and fellowship is, a, a, you know, that's a, that's a gap or that's a particular need. And so a fellowship group is going to be, part. if you can only do one thing, maybe the fellowship group with, you know, a group of believers is particularly helpful for that. I would say in our context, I think we don't do this enough though. So I think, I think this should be become more and more primary in our, in our busy DC, every minute scheduled. I think we should build this into it. And I think it can look different like it doesn't have to be we're going to sit at a coffee shop for two hours and read. It could be you're driving on a commute and you have the same commute as another brother or sister and you call and you read the scripture beforehand and then you talk about it. Like there are ways in which we can actually um, consume the word together to fit in the season of life. But I, but I also I think it probably does need to be prioritized. Um, and if, a, you know, if you're in a particularly busy season, it's like what does it look like to just read over the dinner table, <laughs> you know, with, with family. Like, that is a way in which we can read the Bible with one another uh, if, if capacity doesn't allow uh, meeting one-on-one. I would say, though, this is my personal opinion. I'm not saying this is that all the elders would agree or this is the teaching of the church. I would tend to think one-to-one Bible reading is more important than a fellowship group. Only because in a fellowship group, and I, if you can do both, I think that's the ideal, a fellowship group is 10 to 20 people. It's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful time of fellowship. It's a great way to get to know other people. It is really hard to get deep and to build trusting relationships with everybody in that room, just given the size of it. And a lot of people are just not going to feel comfortable sharing in that type of setting. One-on-one, you are going to be able to build that trust. You are going to be able to actually dive deep and ask one another the tough questions and, and ask one another how things are going from what you read previously. Uh, uh, the previous week. So I would, I would tend to prioritize a small group reading of the word together than a, any fellowship group, especially like if it, if it is a particularly busy season. Dave, I don't know if you'd agree with that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I'd come down on one side or the other, but I think yeah. there are unique benefits to that one-on-one focused time that builds in the ways that the And again, I don't, I don't, it doesn't have to be one-to-one. Like, it can be a small group. So even, you know, think of the women's Bible study here on Wednesday mornings. There's a large group setting, and then there's a small group setting. The small group setting with, like, three to four. I think that is still doing this. You know, it's, it's getting in the context of trusted relationships and applying, like, reading the word and applying it to one another's life. So does that answer your question? Maybe? Kind of? Okay. <laughs> Other thoughts? Do you have one, Jackie? Um, I was more wondering, like, so when you're doing one-on-one, I guess it would depend on what your goal is, but I was thinking of discipleship. Like, should I be, if I'm a mature believer, should I be doing this with somebody who's a younger Christian? Or should I be trying to find somebody more in my, doesn't matter about age, but, like, what does, because how, is that different? One-on-one Bible reading time is going to be very different if I'm committed to doing this yeah. as a young believer 
with somebody who maybe is more sanctified than I am, yeah. that relationship and the Bible reading time, it's not to say it won't be fruitful for both. Yeah. It's just how do you, like yeah. I said, I was answering it in my own head. It was just a thought that I had. I was like, well, like yeah. Some thought that goes into you totally. Yeah. And I think, I think it goes in line with Becky's question of like, I think the ideal, it's like you have both, like you're getting poured into by someone older and, you know, more mature and that, and you're also pouring into to younger believers. But I think you said it, regardless of who we're reading it with, the word does the work. And so it's actually going to, it's going to build us up in Christ regardless. So if I'm reading the word with a brand new believer, that actually might be really particularly helpful because they're going to come with really raw, fresh questions that are going to encourage and spur me on. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think that the act of doing it, regardless of who within the church it is, is the the Lord's going to use that uh, to encourage us. So I think, you know, how we should do this, again, when you you meet up to read, you don't need to over-script it. Like, if you just sit down with someone and read through five chapters of a gospel— and do simple observation, interpretation, and application, like, God is going to use that. That is going to be fruitful. It doesn't, need, it doesn't need to be a super in-depth, like, you do 10 hours of prep just to have this one out. And I think that's the, that's the temptation in our hearts, especially if we're discipling a younger believer or somebody who's new to the faith. It's just like, oh, I've got to have all the answers together. I've got to over... It's like, you know, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Like, it is going to do the work. And so... The simple act of gathering, of reading, and then asking, okay, what do we observe about this passage? <laughs> what does it mean, and how do we apply it? Like, the Lord is going to use that in, in amazing ways to, to build us up in Christ. Uh, and again, I think we want to, I think there are multiple ways of doing this. So you can do it one-on-one with a brother or sister, you know, focus time every week. You can do it around the dinner table with your roommates, with your family. You can do it with a coworker over lunch, even if it's for 15 minutes. It doesn't need to be an hour or two, long, two hours. Like the Lord can use those 15 minutes. It can be driving, uh, where you you read the passage beforehand. So I think we want to we want to demystify to some extent <laughs> all the all the barriers we put up uh, maybe in our hearts towards that. And just some common objections my I often struggle with. Number one, I'm not an expert in this book. How can I teach it? So I've I've thought that many times. Uh, well, again, the power of the word doesn't rest in our, our abilities or our knowledge. God alone uses it for his perfect purposes. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to know that book well, but letting that be an excuse to not read it with someone else, that's, <laughs> that's not a good excuse. Like, the, the, the word is going to do the work. Uh, another thing I thought is like, well, if I start reading with someone, what if I don't know the answer to all their questions? I think that all the time. That's okay. No one knows how to answer every question. <laughs> God, God alone is sufficient. Uh, we are not sufficient. So in humility, as you're studying a book and questions pop up that you don't know, just say, I don't know, but I'm going to study that and I'm going to get back to you. That actually models humility in a way that, uh, that is Christ-like. And then explore that question together in the Word. Use the Word as the means of answering that question. And then lastly, like, I don't have enough time to prep. Again, while prep is good, it's not necessary. And so, especially Becky, as schedules are tight and this culture is fast-paced, it's like, don't expect five hours prep time and then for a one-hour, you know, meeting. Just just meet and start reading <laughs> and observing and interpreting and, and applying it together. All right, we need to move on. Um, so just to summarize, at the end of the day, as we, as we think about Hebrews 4 in particular, the Word is living and active. 
no, how, no matter how ill-equipped or fearful any of us are in reading the Bible with another person, God will do the work and he will use it for our mutual encouragement in Christ. So we should, we should prioritize this in, in, our, in our discipleship. So let's think about one-to-one Bible reading and evangelism. So the Lord Jesus calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. We are his ambassadors who, who have the privilege of, of proclaiming the good news because people are lost and dead in their sin apart from Christ. They need to hear the word of God and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how they are to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how they are to hear without someone preaching? And how, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed in what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Here's a question for us. Does someone need to open up the Bible and read it to be saved? Does someone need to open up the Bible, read it in order to be saved? Sounds like a work. Sounds like a work. What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, there's, no, there's nothing that we bring to the table. There's no amount of work on our part. Just to pull up the biblical example, we see numerous times in Acts where a Peter or a Philip, I guess Philip, the Bible wasn't involved, but in other, in various situations, like Peter meets up with Cornelius and preaches the gospel to them. There's no indication that they have a scroll open when all of the, the Greeks are like visibly saved by God. Yeah. And so like, the gospel is present, but not necessarily in a written form. Yeah. Right? No, exactly. I mean, the, the answer is no. This, someone does not need to open up the Bible and read it in order to be saved, but they need to hear the word of Christ. So they need to hear that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for men. They need to hear that Christ is the only way that they can be reconciled to the Father and gain everlasting life in him. This means that people can get saved by listening to you faithfully share the gospel and just present it in a summary form or by coming on a Sunday morning and, and hearing the, the word of Christ preached. Um, but we need to recognize that the foundation is that people are res- fundamentally responding to God's word. In evangelism, people are fundamentally responding to God's word about who he is and what he offers through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I don't want is to say... Evangelism is only one-to-one Bible reading. <laughs> That's not the case. You can present the gospel to somebody sitting on the train as you're uh, you know, going to work. You don't need to open up the Word. But if you are to faithfully proclaim the message, it's going to be based off of what God has said in His Word. And so it's fundamentally presenting the Word of Christ um, to people who are perishing. Um, so ultimately in our evangelism, we're giving people God's word, which is all about the Lord Jesus, who is the word. We're to tell people about him and introduce them to him, to his life, to his work on the cross, to his glorious resurrection. We can't save anyone, but the Lord can save anyone. And he does this through the proclamation of his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. So evangelism. So why should we read the Bible one-on-one with non-believers as a means of evangelism? Just a couple thoughts, and then we can discuss. Number one, I'd say reading the Bible gets us to Jesus and his claims rather than the endless arguments of our day. I've been in so many conversations with friends where we're just like, we're continually beating the same bush in terms of like, we're talking about the existence of God. We're talking about 
Um, couldn't there be a good God in a world full of evil and suffering? Well, how can I trust the reliability of the scripture? You can go and you know you can go all around endlessly on those questions, uh, and those are good questions, and those are those are good things to talk about. But the answers to those questions aren't fundamental. Like if somebody accepts the trustworthiness of scripture, but doesn't actually repent and believe, they're not going to be saved. And so ultimately, we need to we need to get people to the gospel. We need to introduce people to Jesus. Um, and so having them read the Bible not only helps answer those questions, because <laughs> that's where our answers are going to come from anyway, but it helps them see Jesus and how he, how he changes everything. So if somebody's doubting the goodness of God because of suffering that's happening in their own life, walking through the Gospels and see how tender and compassionate and patient and kind Jesus is, that's going to that's gonna be amazing. Like, the Lord's going to use that. Um, you know, if someone's doubting the authenticity of the scriptures and then they start reading, it's like, man, as you read the word, you can't help but think, man did not write this. Man did not make this up. God oftentimes does that with people who distrust the authority of, and, and the authenticity of scriptures. Reading it, actually, the Lord uses that to expose that he's the one who's inspired it and he's the one who has wrote it. Um, and as we th- thought about in Hebrews 4, the, the word pierces. <laughs> so whatever is actually going on in that person's heart, getting them to the Bible and reading, the Lord's going to use that to actually unearth what's actually going on um, in a way that can help them see Jesus more clearly. Secondly, there are so many misconceptions about Jesus. So many people have so many misconceptions about Jesus, and reading the Bible actually demystifies those misconceptions and shows them who he actually is. So mo- a lot of people probably have not read the Bible, but have a whole list of mis- like a whole list of misconceptions about who he is without actually reading it. And so we want to encourage them to go to the source, look at Jesus for who he is, and then and then discuss uh, and then talk about those misconceptions that they have. So if somebody thinks Jesus is simply a good teacher, uh, he was just a good dude. He had some good wise things to say as they read through the gospel and they see that he healed people he cast out demons he was able to calm the wind in the way he's more than a good teacher there's something more to jesus than simply his helpful wise teaching if someone thinks jesus was only about love and not about truth they will see that jesus talked about hell almost more than anything else uh, in his teaching they they will see that not only was his love beyond compassionate but also that he called people to repent and believe in him. So it'll help demystify this assumption, ah, Jesus is just this loving, he only cares about love. That's what really matters. Actually, he cares about love in the context of truth, the truth of who he is and what he's revealed to us in his word. If someone thinks Jesus was just a social activist that only cared about justice, (laughs) they will see his constant teaching on his primary reason for coming, which was to seek and save the lost. So whatever misconception someone has about Jesus whether that's through TV that they've watched or just conversations, there are probably lack of study. They need, to, they need to come to the Bible and see Jesus for themselves. And it's a means by which we can actually, okay, we're reading it, and then we can talk about it with that person. This is, anything I'm going to say about Jesus is based on Scripture, so let's just go to Scripture and see what it, see what it says, and then we can discuss from there. And then lastly, the Spirit will use the reading of His Word to spur on questions from non, non-believers otherwise not considered. So I think it, it's really refreshing. Um, when the Robins were still here, but they lived across the street from us, we sent out a text uh, 
couple of the guys that we got to know on the street um, and invited them to a Bible study. Only one said yes. <laughs> Most of our neighbors have uh, continually said no to any invitation. But our direct neighbor did say yes. And so we, we started reading the, the Gospel of Mark uh, just weekly over the course of, I guess, a fall. It was so refreshing to just... He, I mean, he asked questions I had not considered in a long time. Or, uh, to be honest, I had never thought of. And so he, as a non-believer, as we just read Mark, he asked really thoughtful questions that was not only applicable to his life, but also encouraged, encouraged me to think through things better and to, to understand who the Lord is. And so the Spirit can use his word as we're reading it with a non-believer to really get to the heart of the matter of what's going on. So there's, there's endless reasons, but I think those are three helpful in terms of it gets people to Jesus quickly instead of arguments. Uh, it helps demystify their misconceptions, and then the Spirit's going to use it in a way that's directly applicable to that, that non-believer and what they're going through. Okay, so how do we read the Bible with non-believers? One, you got to ask them to do it. <laughs> it's not just going to happen. This takes, this takes faith. It's, we need to ask the Lord to, to not fear, help us not fear man. I still, when I ask people to, to read, I still fear man in that moment. Like I, need, I have to go to the Lord. Lord, help me not care about what this person says or if they reject me or how hard it's going to be, give me the faith to, to boldly ask this person to read scripture uh, with me. Some, some examples. Hey, I know we've had a, you know, maybe it's a coworker or it's a, or if it's a, a neighbor. Hey, I know we've had a few conversation, conversations recently about, uh, about faith, which I've enjoyed. Would you be open to reading a book of the Bible with me and discussing it? It's like use the, the entry point conversations as a means of, hey, I've really enjoyed these conversations, but would you just, would you read the Bible and just see what it says and, and talk about it? Um, or another question could be out of curiosity, have you actually ever read the Bible before? Depending on what their answer is, you know, if not, I'd love to spend a few weeks meeting up and reading it together. As you, as you know, and as I've shared with you, I've been personally transformed in the, in the reading of it myself. And I would love for you to just at least experience it, um, for a few weeks. And then, you know, if you're not interested after that, that's fine. But those are just like some, I don't, there's a million ways you can do it. I just wanted to give some examples. But we do have to ask. We, we need to invite people to read with us. Maybe somebody, maybe a non-believer, the, the Spirit will prompt them to, hey, you should ask Dan to read the Bible, you know, together. They may do that. More likely it's going to be on our initiative. Um, so, do you have a question? question? Yeah. You mean like a believer was reading with a non-believer and then... And they walked away. Hmm. Through the course of all those questions, and it didn't help their faith, it actually tore it down. Hmm. Um, which reveals either lots of doubts or they were never actually with the body at the end of it. But either way, like it, how would you caution or counsel like guardrails? Like I tell my son, like somebody wants to argue with you that is not the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. I'd say first, that's why reading the Bible with other believers is is helpful, especially as we're doing <laughs> reading it with non-believers. Well, two believers, or or like, hey, you're meeting up with this group of sisters. 
and then you're meeting up separately with this non-believer, so you can actually process those questions with un, or with other believers. So I'd say that that's one helpful. Two, I think there does get a point where if someone only wants to argue all the time, it may not be the best use of time to like if like if they're not actually engaging with the text and they're not actually you know desiring to read it. It's okay to meet up five times and be like, hey, like, you know, you could you could say, hey. I, you know, I've really enjoyed this time, like, I've enjoyed this time. I don't think we're actually, like, really, you're not in a position where you, you're actually wanting to read the Bible and discuss what it means. Like, you just want to keep talking about these things, Garrett, which I'm, which Garrett I'm, spoke to that two or three weeks ago. Oh, Jason spoke to that two or three weeks ago. Hmm. I do not remember that aspect, but I'm sure it was much more articulated than I just said. So, <laughs> praise God. Um, website, that's only how I heard it. Yeah. Um, so, it's okay, it's okay to, you know, as, yeah, and, and as we think even about, I was in crew in college, and we talked about discipleship, finding people who are faithful, available, and teachable. Now, that's in the context of, like, believers, but I think it's, it's like, if someone clearly does not want to keep talking about this and only wants to argue, it's okay to spend time with other people who actually are engaged, because time is a limited resource. And so, we got to ask the Lord for wisdom, and maybe as you pray about it, he wants you to just keep meeting up with that person, and it's going to be really hard, but who knows what the Lord might do with that, so... Um, so you got to ask. Secondly, and this is just um, practically from the example I just gave when we read with our neighbor, I anticipated it to be like a similar study of reading the Bible with other believers. So we prepared like the first 11 verses. We were going to go deep into the context. We read the first 11 verses. He's like, hey, can we just keep going? So the first time we just read the first four chapters of Mark because he, ne- he had never read the Bible before. And he actually wanted a more narrative view of Jesus' life. So we just did that over the next couple. So I, I mean, I, we, we read and prepared, but we actually just kind of came to it and we're like, we don't know how far we're going to get and we don't know, what's, you know what questions he's going to ask, but we're just going to sit and we're going to read and we're going to get as far and we're going to kind of let the Spirit lead in those moments. So some non-believers are maybe just going to want to go fast and read more kind of from an overarching story perspective, and some may actually be like, well, what does that mean about what a son of David? You know, it's like they may pick apart every word, and that's, that's good too. So just be prepared that you could go slow or you could go fast, and both, both are good. <laughs> um, it also gives you a little freedom of reading with a non-believer to not, you want to prepare, but again, like the word does the work. So if time is a issue from you doing it and you don't have time to prepare, it's still better to sit down and read scripture and discuss it <laughs> than it is to say, I don't have the time for that because I don't have the time to prep. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Um, how do we decide like what book might be good? Like how did you decide on Mark? Like I've kind yeah. of heard, you know, it's good to start with the gospel, but which gospel? Do you have any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah. That was, that was my next point is start with one of the gospels uh i you know again use discernment and you know in your conversations leading up with that particular non-believer maybe they want to start from the beginning and starting in genesis is okay but i'd say generally speaking starting with one of the gospels all of scripture is about jesus the gospels are about his his life his death his resurrection it gets us to uh the the centrality of the word quicker i think I think Luke is helpful for people who are um, analytical and logical. I mean, that's just how he writes. Uh, I think John is really helpful because all of the I am statements, it kind of really gets to 
um, who Jesus says about himself in a very clear and helpful way. And you have to, you get to John 3, you must be born again. There's a great hour plus long conversation with somebody of what, is, what does that mean? So any of the gospels are going to, you know, show people who Jesus is and what he did and what he, who he claimed to be. So I would just, any, any of them is fine. If you know one better than the other, just start with that one. <laughs> um, I don't, it doesn't, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it, but yeah, it's a good question. And then lastly, pray. Like the Lord, again, the Lord does the work. We need to pray that the people would say yes to reading with us. We need to pray that the Lord would use that time, uh, that he would give us wisdom to respond to people's questions uh, in a way that honors him and is true to, true to the word. Um, so we want to have a posture of prayer, both in evangelism and discipleship. Um, it can be easy, and maybe this is just me, but it can be easy to come, come in and just rely too much on my previous study or my previous knowledge rather than, no, no. If anything good's going to happen, it's because the Lord does it. <laughs> and I need to rely on him. And he needs to change me through this process as well. Um, we're at time. We're over time, which is standard for me. Any final questions or thoughts? Yeah. yeah. Any tips for reading the Bible with someone who maybe comes from a religious background, like Mormonism or Islam, that kind of read the Bible sometimes, but it's like definitely out of context or, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah, it's a great question. I think one, you're going to have to be patient in the sense of any scripture, you, especially like with a Mormon or a Muslim, they're going to come in with a lot of, oh, but this is what the Quran or this is what uh, the Book of Mormon. So you're going to have to be patient and actually work through to really uh, help them understand how different they are and, again, demystify what they're used to. And so you know, as you're going through, you actually probably have to go through slower and be like, okay, let's talk about this specific verse um, and what it actually means and kind of reiterating the point, you know, time and time again. And then just coming in with, okay, so, uh, you know, for a Muslim in particular, um, you know, they believe in works-based, you know, salvation. So always coming back to that point of how Jesus offers free gift of salvation. And so knowing the context of that religion and then showing how the gospel is is not only different but better for that particular person. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I don't have a ton of experience reading with people that I've talked to plenty of Mormons, but we haven't actually read the Bible together. So, yeah, that's a good question. Any other thoughts or questions? Mike. Yeah, it's a great question. I'll try to answer briefly. I don't think there's one way to do it. Just some, how I would think about it. 
if they ask me to read the Book of Mormon, I'm going to ask them to read the Bible. If they're not willing to read the Bible, in addition to you know maybe reading some of the passages of the Book of Mormon, I, it would probably depend on like a season and timing thing. Like if they're not willing to actually read the Bible, then I might I may not choose to spend my time with with those specific people. Um, but I would I would encourage them to like hey if, if I'm gonna if I agree to read the Book of Mormon with you, you got to agree to to read the Bible with me. Two, I'd say especially for that, they always go two by two, like bring other believers into that as well. Um, we should go two by two because that's what. Yeah, yeah, they're always in twos. Um, and Jesus sent two two by two. So I'd say invite other believers into those situations as well because that can be really helpful um, just for processing and um, yeah, answering their questions. So again, I'd say it's I'd say it's probably a season specific, but try to get them to read the Bible as well and then do it with other believers. So, all right, final encouragement for us all. The word, the word does the work. God is inviting us <laughs> to know him, to see him, to understand what he's done for us in Christ. The enemy wants to put up all these barriers, all these excuses why we shouldn't do these things. But reading the, the word with other believers is going to help us behold Christ together. Reading it with non-believers is going to get them to Jesus and the gospel in a really helpful way. And the Lord's going to do it by his power, for his glory, and we're going to get to rejoice in that. So let's, let's hold one another accountable in, in these things. Um, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you that you use it to not only expose what's in our hearts, but point us to the Lord Jesus, who is such a great Savior, who is able to sympathize with us and help in time of need. God, we pray that you would spur us on to reading with one another, and that you might use that to build us up in Christ. And Lord, we pray for non-believers in each of our lives, Lord, that you would give us the faith to ask them to read and that you would move in their hearts to say yes. And you might use that to draw them to, to yourself through Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.